On this edition of Discologist, we're spinning new tracks from Milwaukee's Ladybird, Sweden's Honey, and then digging into 1992's Play With Toys, the forgotten classic by the Michael Ivey-fronted hip-hop group Basehead from Washington, D.C. Tune in now for all this, plus new music from Maximilian and the Reinhardt, and a discussion about that pitchfork list that everyone's talking about. So sit back and relax. It's time to get on with the show. Is this what it was like at the Carly Rae Jepsen show? Yeah, yeah. That's 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 uh, that's that's turn. actually a recording of the crowd. Um, I'm gonna have to inform our studio audience. Our signs broken today, so they're just gonna be cheering throughout the whole thing. They're just gonna keep going. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's they, no way, they, there's they no do what we say. Them. They do yeah. what we say, we and, and we um, can't be like sit down, stop clapping. Right. They're just gonna no, no. They're done. Um. No. So. I'm excited that we get to talk about Basehead. We planned this episode, or we talked about this episode doing it at the beginning of the season, right? I think the first one back. Yeah, and I think not for the first time. Um, yeah, no, the, no, no, no. You know, we've, we, been... we've talked about talking. We've talked about talking about Basehead for. I think probably from from the moment that I that both you and I realized that that we knew this band. Yes, yes. Um, because not many people know it. Yeah, I, I think that's right. But I mean, we could be proven to be idiots and be like, "What are you talking about? Everybody yeah. loves Basehead. Everybody loves Basehead." Um, I've been trying to get the in England. It was or Europe. It was called DC Basehead. Um, yes. And so I'm trying to get a vinyl copy of that because this is one of my favorite albums. But we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about some new music. Figured we get some shop talk uh, before we get to that though. I I want to put you like really on the spot here. And uh-huh. you're going to put me on the spot with the shop talk here. Uh, I just put out a track. Uh, it loosely translated, it means Floyd Hole. And <laughs> and I, I want to know, Ed, you know me, and um, and that's why you keep buying my shit. And you need, I'm, this is publicly, just going to stop buying my shit. <laughs> but <laughs> but okay. if you didn't know me and you heard this, who would this be for? Who would it be for? Um, it's, it's for, it's, you know how we spend a lot of time living in that spot in culture where it's like, it's not clear if we're liking something because it's camp or because we genuinely like it right? or, you know, and, and like the pendulum sort of swings around on that where you're like, oh, is this good? It's not good. And then it's bad, but then it becomes camp and then it's good. Yes. And so I, you know. So if I if I heard this not knowing it was from you, I would assume I would feel here's what I would feel. I would feel some uh, degree of unresolved. I would have complicated feelings about it because I would assume it came from some sort of like, uh, you know, uh, you're sort of proto urban hipster type living somewhere in Flatbush. Right. On that on that margin of like (laughs) DJ to podcast and just someone who just decided to like. Who basically, you know, got some filters that were labeled like cheese and then max cheese, and then they just turned oh, those all the way up, and uh, and I would be like, I don't know what this young kid did, but it's great. So knowing right. that you made it, I'm glad that turn. I'm glad I took that turn because I was I was really like, oh shit. 
No, it absolves me of the guilt of liking it because I'd have to be like, ugh, okay. what am I supporting now if I if I listen to this 25-year-old's, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah. You, listeners, you're going to have to wait till the end of this episode. We're, I'm just going to play it at the end of the episode because it's Ooh, our nice. show. We, we can do it. We can, yeah. we yeah, can do that. But you, if you haven't bought it yet, um, you can. The Great Laro, first one, immediately it was like, boom. Thank Shouts. you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Shouts um, to the Laro. So that out of the way, I just want to get that out of the way. I'm not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> like, I have no idea, but we'll talk a little bit more about it at the end. Um, so there's a lot of uh, music news, I guess, going on. But th- I think what really hit a nerve was this pitchfork list, as pitchfork lists are want to do. <laughs> Uh, seems, it was. It seems to have hit all the nerves. It's the 150 best albums of the 90s, and this is for you, I think, more consequential because I am famously on record as saying, like, I just did not enjoy the 90s, music-wise. Yeah, but you would, but but well, I think you don't enjoy the grouping or things that are billed as being 90s. But I think there was plenty of music made in the 90s that you enjoy. I think it would surprise you how little. Or how, how not factual that statement is. <laughs> well, I mean, um, I'm looking at 142, w- Boys to Men. Well, two. you know, Boys to Men, Wilco's, two. Wilco's good years were in the 90s. Okay. okay. <laughs> Deliberately provocative statement. Well, that, um, and we'll talk about that too. <laughs> um, Gillian Welch had a couple of fantastic releases in the I didn't 90s. hear it. I didn't hear it in the 90s. Right, right, right. But it's but it was it's from the nineties. Okay, I see. I see. So this is looking back. Um Oh, there's that frog from my sore throat. Yeah. Uh you know, of course Radiohead's greatest work took place in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at this list, I'm like, there's Jillian, there's Jeff Buckley, there's Violator, which I thought was high school, but then I'm like, it's nineteen ninety, so it was high school. Um <laughs> yeah. let's see, we got Automatic for the People is on this list. <sighs> Pre- Prefab Sprout. Yeah, that's they, not your they, thing. They didn't make a good album. They... Let's start with this. Uh huh. Tom Petty's Wildflowers at one twenty nine. Way too low. Right. So what kind? Of, I think. So what kind of list is this? Who first of all? Who is this list for? And what kind of? And is this just like your standard pitchfork? Which at this point is a lot of just kind of trolling. You know, I'm not I'm not a person yes. who's all like fuck pitchfork, but they're either like willfully ignorant or they are actively like antagonizing people to get traffic. There's a, there's no in between there anymore with them. Yeah. I think, you know, so so who the list is for is really interesting to me because, you know, it's not like, you know, I see people sort of posting their all their like analyses of like, well, this record climbed significantly. And, you know, when you go and look at the listings, it doesn't tell you where it was last ranked by, by Pitchfork. So these are people who care enough that they sort of either remember or right. know or right, are going right, to take right, the time right. to go back and look. And I just cannot imagine being arsed to do that at all. Like, I don't give a shit if someone tells me, you know, so I, so I saw someone saying that it's good that American Water by the Silver Jews was at 21 or something. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care what random number Pitchfork assigns to American Water. It's a great record. Right. 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 Um, so, but, you know, I think the other kind of dynamic here has to do with, uh, oh, the cocktails are really high. 
Um, of course. Yeah. Another another I mean, dynamic that matters here is that, um, you know, Pitchfork, I think probably about 10 or so years ago, started to become aware of the fact that it was really, you know, uh, uh, by white people and for white people and about white people. And I think they, you know, they made sort of a deliberate, maybe, you know, definitely clumsy effort to try to sort of go beyond, um, you know, post post pavement uh, white dude uh, indie stuff. Right. And they sort of got tagged as being like at the forefront of kind of poptimism, I think, at that point, um, because they were suddenly starting to bring like Rihanna into a conversation Mm -hmm. where normally you would only have seen. Uh, you know, uh, sort of bands that want to sound like Blur, right? So, uh, so like, you know, like Pitchfork made like the Unicorns, who were a flash in the water in the early aughts, right? Yeah, and and so and so suddenly you've got Pitchfork bringing, you know, Rihanna, Beyonce, and and you know other black women in the conversation. You've got them talking about Juana Molina and other interesting folks. Um, so what this list seems to have done, though, is is that it's, you know, it's a new it's a bunch of new writers over there. It's a new creative team. And so it makes sense that things would be ranked differently. Um, but the backlash to the poppiness uh, piece here is really uh, puts us in an interesting place in the optimism conversation. And I say this as someone who saw Carly Rae Jepsen just a few nights ago. Yeah. Um, which which is that, you know, it it's there is. um we had a piece that we talked about on the old show about uh, millennials being uncool, right? And 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 it was sort of this 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 rare bit of like generational warfare that was just like, but you know, when we grew up, it was cooler to like stuff that other people didn't like than it was to right, like the right, stuff right, that right. everyone liked, right? And and I think the 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 current the current pitchfork list really uh, goes against the grain there because it really just leans into. Um, folks who I think were probably under-recognized by the Pitchfork crew. So Janet Jackson is really high. Hole is higher yeah. than Live Through This is higher than any Nirvana album, right? Yeah. Which is which is fine by me. But like I'm I'm looking at I'm in the I'm looking at the 120, 121, 120, um, and then 118. And 119 even. So you've got in order there, you've got Garbage's debut, Rage Against the Machines mm-hmm. debut in ninety-two. Sarah McLaughlin in 93, filming towards ecstasy. And at 118, you have Octane Baby. And I'll start with Octane Baby because this is arguably a record that changed music. Yeah. You know, this is a this is one of the biggest bands in the world completely reinventing themselves and the world going, yes, this is what yeah. we want. Despite it being it should- a, it's a massive creative success too. This isn't like, there's no optimism involved. This is like, this is a challenging record for people who were previously fans of U2. Um, and going up from that, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, uh, I don't know the stats, but like that was always on like MTV. It was always mm-hmm. on indie radio. Rage Against the Machine. The impact of just one song off that is immeasurable. Um, and responsible for like most of the incels in America right now, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and then you know you get up to garbage, and you know garbage was a synthesis of all this like indie stuff in 1995 or underground stuff, industrial, and massive pop hooks. Like mm-hmm. these are these are all records that changed the game, and you're at 
120? <laughs> but ranked below like Weezer's Blue Album. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Just to, just to sort of put that in context. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, that's that seems not right. No. Um, and and so so I wonder what happens when and if this is to be a really subjective list. I mean, the cranberries is higher than Octune Baby. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh but <laughs> but you know, if this is a list just to demonstrate two things for from a writer that they know about the past and they're very subjective about it. Like, I, I appreciate that. But mm-hmm. when you expand that out to like a, 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 a publication the size of Pitchfork, I think it's important that you get the historical context right. There's a line in the, in the 90s, you know, the early 90s and the late 90s are radically different. Right. And not right, just right. the sounds of what's coming out, but also like the music industry itself. Mm-hmm. And I, and looking through this list, I, I I'm just like, I don't. It seems like that was completely ignored. Yeah, which might be. I, fun. I agree. I you know I also I also think that you know if you're making a list like this ten or so years ago, and um, you know you've had a run where bands like, um. You know, Franz Ferdinand and um, mm-hmm. The Strokes and Spoon and all this sort of like all these bands that really do seem to have been influenced by a lot of what happened in the 80s and 90s. If they're running the game, then then maybe it's easier to say, OK, well, a band like Pavement to choose to you know, pick on my favorites is really influential. But if you look at at, at, at where the culture is now, um, despite pavements reunion tour looking really great and successful commercially and artistically that's not where the culture is right so suddenly someone like janet jackson you know to the extent that like that like the present informs how we look at the past and it does it 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 would make sense to me that 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 there that pitchfork would want to correct some of its own kind of blind spots and go beyond just sort of having one token but you know i'll say this too i don't i i you know add a add a scroll these all sound like um, mostly uh, North American and, uh, you know, artists from English speaking. Uh, like there's no there's there's a whole other planet uh, of, um, you know, yeah. there was important music being made in, in South America. There was uh, important music being made in Africa and in Asia. Um, and it really doesn't seem to have registered with this crowd at all. So maybe maybe in 10 years when they do this again. You'll have like you know uh, Caetano Veloso or Marisa Monchi in the top ten or something like that. Who knows? Well, I, I don't know if it actually registered with Americans in the nineties. I think that right. that might be actually part of the issue. Like we're going to talk about use your illusion, but uh, neither but, did neither, neither did spiritualized. To be clear, oh no, I knew spiritualized. I I didn't know any any like music in the nineties. I knew who spiritualized was. I mean, I, okay. I hung out with a lot of people who did drugs, so maybe that's that's why. But <laughs> yeah, that, yeah is, <laughs> that is why. <laughs> but but um, you know, we're going to talk about use your illusions, and like like you mentioned, like stuff in like South America, in like people, despite even seeing what you saw on like MTV, the Rock and Rio stuff, I don't think people understand how much better received uh, hard rock is in in Brazil. Yeah. You know, it's it's a it's yeah. a real thing. Like people can go down there and do a festival that size now. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And 
And that and that is um, and you know we we have talked about that how people in Europe don't forget about music, so they're equally to have like you know FKA Twigs and like Foreigner on the same gig, you know for like Glastonbury right. for example, uh, which I think is the way things should be. So this is definitely an American thing, but like I'm looking, see so just Madonna Ray of Light. Nobody liked the album when it came out because it wasn't it, it was fine. It's Madonna; she does good stuff, but it just like that's not. Yeah. You know, it's 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 one of those things. Sade is down there low, like, um, and and I'm sorry. Uh, I'll I'll go on the record again about this. My bloody Valentine Loveless is not a good album. <laughs> like, if you're like, what would happen if my dick were a guitar? You have that, and it had pedals. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and that, look, that's and, that's and, who that resonates with. Yeah, it it it's you know uh, when it came along, it was it was interesting and unique, and um, it seemed was to it though? Imbo- well, it was it was the most commercially successful. It was it was the most visible version of a deep shoegaze movement, right? And I just saw this band here. Um, Andre was opening for them, Velt, oh, yeah, um, yeah. and I totally missed them in the nineties. Um, but God, that was a sound I would have really enjoyed hearing in the '90s. Sort of, you know, R and B coupled with my bloody Valentine type shoegaze. It was way more interesting than what yeah. than what Kevin Shields does alone. I think. Yeah, yeah, you know, Kevin Shields is just so like, it, it's loud. Yeah. Do you get it? Do you get my art? And like, <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I also play guitar. I can make things loud. Like, and and honestly, I didn't hear that album until the 2000s. So like yeah. I have no context okay. for it because it was just one of those things is like oh and I was I knew shoegaze bands though so I didn't I just didn't yeah. care I was like oh, whatever man yeah I didn't really know like slow dive or some of those other bands but you know like only shallow was a song where when that showed up on a mixtape you sort of perked up and you wanted to know more about who that was um, and that was that was exactly how I got into to loveless was just was only shallow and I just thought I I don't know that I've heard something quite like this before it was like ninety four or something like that. Shout out to Jordan, who I'm pretty sure is, is responsible for that mixtape. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but shout it's, out to it's, it's, sh- it, like that's always been a top five album for them, though. That that album does not budge from there, right? From the right. Pitchfork canon, right? Which is it'd be interesting if somebody do like a a study of like the ethnic and like age makeup of like the people mm-hmm. who do this for Pitchfork, which is kind of what we're doing, you know, and and see why that is, like why that resonates. Um, yeah, I, I I do think there's. It's inescapable that certain things resonate with certain generations, uh, certain, like, just not even ethnicity, just, like, upbringing, like, background culture that you come from. But uh, it's always better to, like, recognize that, that that's why it's there. Instead of yeah. instead of you get to a, and this goes for anything, so you get to a, a point where you have all this power and you say something, but you leave out, like, 90% of the context. Yeah. Right, right. I'm just saying, be yeah. skeptical. I, I, you know, it's this is if if you're if you're if you're more invested in this than just sort of getting a chuckle out of it, I think you're probably doing it wrong. And I think they probably <laughs> offered it up with the intention that, like, oh, this will trigger some some arguments at you know a couple of um, you know a couple of uh, neighborhood uh, watering holes uh, where people in their forties yeah. and fifties gather to talk about music. Yeah, in Chicago, probably. <laughs> would, be, would be my guess, and yeah. um, and you're probably not listening to this show if you're serious right. about this. Uh, but that's right. that's okay. Uh, before we move on, shout out to Japan Cakes 
the the great band out of Athens, Georgia, for their cover of Loveless, which was like, I didn't listen to Loveless for years. And then somebody was like, you should hear this. I'm like, come on, man. And then I did. I was like, oh, I like this. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, at any rate, uh, the list is out there. I'm not going to put it in the show notes, but you know where no. to find Pitchfork. Uh, moving right along, I'm going to go f- first this week because... I just had a really, there's a lot, I couldn't decide what we were going to talk about. Um, There was uh, a lot of great music happening here in Milwaukee recently, but uh, more importantly, the Bayview Bash came back, uh, which you have not had the pleasure Mm. of enjoying, but is, you know, uh, the Street KK, the main drag? Yeah. They block it all off. There's like four or five stages. Uh, Dan from Rushmore and Dan and Bill from Rushmore run a stage down at the bottom. So uh, our friends in Convert, like, close the whole thing out. It was, it was a, this amazing, like, uh, how do I describe the band? Because we haven't played it before. They're uh, ele- electronica, goth, but, like, very rock as well. Okay. Um, I think I've sent you that, and eventually we will get them on the show for something, at least a track. Um, but anyway, it was, you know, Bayview is made up of, of not necessarily it's an arts community, but there are people who are more uh, arts sympathetic. So, you know. He wandered around and in a like-minded crowd and went up to the one stage and this band is playing. And I said, well, why is Uncle Tupelo playing at, at Bayview Bash? And the stage they're playing is literally like three blocks from my house. So I was like, this is like the type of thing. This is why we live here, because this, you know, you can walk out the door and see a band that sounds like Uncle Tupelo. And they actually sound like Uncle Tupelo uh, mixed with Skinner. So it's a little more mm-hmm. Southern fried. Uh, they're all from Milwaukee. I don't know any of their names. I don't have any information about them except their name is Ladybird. Um, okay. And I'm going to get in touch with them, and and maybe we'll have them on the show. I know they're playing some shows around here. And I heard them, and I was like, "This is what I. This is what people should be doing in 2022. Instead of trying to mess with a formula and trying to like." do crazy stuff because you can't you don't want people to accuse you of sounding like uncle tupelo for example you write a good song you write a good song so they have one ep out it's called introducing um and the track we're going to play is zoomer and it's just i'm excited for you to hear it partially because i don't know how you feel about this type of music really but uh i'm gonna press play on this and this is in the morning i'm gonna go get a cup of coffee so, Eduardo, you, you enjoy okay. this. Listener, you enjoy this. Awesome. And then uh, I'll be right back. I got a beer buzz and a broken dream. So I cracked my fifth can and I screamed. Born to run. Absolutely no one at all. And a wise man once said, Gasoline. And the price is right, but the clock's questioning from the wall. So now it's two lanes open wrong. Sun beaming through my dirty window. And the laughing faces I know make me feel free. One of them two don't cost a dime. And the other Take 
finish this Said a pine tree won't do When what you need is company So my wild sing Sunset seemed like a dream This tavern in that town Face said I'm dying Sunbeam through my dirty window And the laughing faces I know Make me feel free One of them two don't cost a dime And the other, oh well, hell, I don't mind There's no guarantee I can't take either one with me Yeah, there's no guarantee I can't take either one with me all right. I love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I, I, I hear the Uncle Tupelo. I hear the sort of little bit of Sunvolt maybe even there. Yeah. Um, in that same tradition. Uh, it reminded me, and I was, I was just looking them up to figure out uh, how they describe their music. It reminded me of this group that I had a thing with called Little Gold. Um, they had a record in 2020 that I liked a lot. Um, and they described themselves as bummer basement country, uh, <laughs> which is which wow. is exactly the gear I think we're in here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I really like that. I thought that I thought that was great. I would love to. I would love to. I think I think that has to be a great live show. I would love to hear the rest of their catalog. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, I know they're working on an album. Um, we've got a show coming up here at Cactus Club on October seventh, I believe it is. Um, and, and it was it was. One of those things, and you know, speaking of like acknowledging, you know, your culture that you come from, like this is very white music. <laughs> but this is what this is what I this is what I grew up on, um, and it's the first time hearing somebody do this in a long time where it made me feel like it did when I heard something uh, like "Gun" from Uncle Tupelo. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to me, that's more that covers more the Tweety side. Yeah. Of the Tupelo stuff, and like you said, the, the Sunvolt comes in where where that was a lot of more uh, Jay Farrar's like instrumentation. He's a little heavier, um, yeah. But you know, anytime you had uh, Tweety singing and coming in, it was a little more uh, relevant to the to the modern age, if you will. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I I, I mean I, I legit like the second like I the, their set was over, I like walked up to the dude. I'm like, dude, you guys are awesome. <laughs> well, well, there's a few there's a few boxes you sort of I think have to check if you're going to do something like that well. Um yeah. which is that, you know, you have to have you got to get the voice right, right? It's got to be the right yeah. the right sort of vocal vocal timbre for this. Um you have to be smart but like not, you know, but not pretentious, right? Right? There has to be like a cleverness and a wryness to the lyrics. It has to be a little bit funny, right? A little bit sad sack, um, maybe a little bit, a little bit mean in spots too, right? There's like, there's like a yeah. very specific blend of of uh, of kind of emotional colors that you need uh, to get that all just right. But I think they really nailed it. Yeah, you need to be relatable. I think that at the end of the day, all those, yeah. like, all those things you add up, you you mentioned, add You're up right. to being relatable. Like, yeah. hey, I'm just one of you guys. The best thing was they were shouting out, like, any social workers in the audience? Like, give it up for them. Like, so that, they're, like, yeah. in this community and they're doing work other than, 
you know, just being like doofuses in a band. Uh, but they're uh, they're they're fucking great. That's awesome. So hopefully we'll hear more from them. So I'm glad you like that. I'm glad I know where you where yeah. you land on some music like that too. So that's, yeah, it's very pro. Uh, what do you got? Well, I have. Um, uh, I'm gonna give us something short and down tempo, but um, but before that, you know, when I was when I was what I really wanted to come here and play was uh, uh, the cover of What's Love Got to Do With It on the latest Miles Davis bootleg series, which is fantastic. Oh, I um, yeah, I highly, highly recommend, along with all the covers of Time After Time and Human Nature, and there's there's a lot of really good stuff in there. Holy shit. But, um, but then I remembered the spirit of what we're trying to do here in these, in these opening segments, and I thought a, a little artist like Miles Davis maybe doesn't need the signal boost. Uh, right. So, um, so I... He certainly I, can't I, appreciate I, it. <laughs> well, I, so I flipped through wait, some... Wait, uh, where's my... Where's my dr- <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Yeah! <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so... Uh, you know, there's um, there's a couple of really interesting um, DJ sort of sound collage guys in um, in Scandinavian countries. One of them, one of um, one of those guys I really like is someone named Ole Berger, and he records his Ole Berger beats. And I found the artist I'm going to play you through probably some algorithm generated, uh, you know, uh, preferential treatment. But this is this is Honey. Um, which is a uh, Swedish DJ named Johan Cederberg, mm-hmm. um, and um, I don't think I have to say anything about it. Let's just let's just hit play. All right. Thank you. 
right. Yeah. How are um, you feeling? I feel good about that. I feel good about that yeah. for, for a lot of reasons. Um, one of the reasons is a lot of music like this can be very simple, um, but very effective. Like, like as a musician, I know exactly everything he did, including like using the vinyl plugin, like to like scratch mm-hmm. it up a little bit. But it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's a it's a a drum loop, and then probably a live bass part, and then the mm-hmm. loop piano, and it's just and and it'll just put you in space. Like and and you know music doesn't have to necessarily have this big meaning. It, it can just be about a mood. Yeah, um, vibe. Because it's not, this is not the last thing, the first and last thing this guy will ever do. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's not like you'll hear you'll hear this like, well, he peaked at family, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Right. That's not why you listen to this type of stuff. But uh, the immediate question that comes to mind is that in your bachelor pad, do you have a switch on the wall that like <laughs> <laughs> you that walk just turns in that on. and you just click it and it's like lights, the galaxy lights turn on and then that sounds on. I need to get some uh, some Internet of Things uh, stuff happening so I can do that. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that's great. Um, with music like that, I, I'm interested in your take on this because you hear a lot of this stuff. Obviously, it doesn't make it to the radio. Uh, it doesn't make it to any like video services per se. You you hear a lot of it in uh, more upscale restaurants or mid upscale mm-hmm. restaurants of the stuff, and yeah. they uh, musicians have to they get paid for it. Yeah. Um, which I you know if you're in a restaurant like that. There's sometimes, like, usually they play this stuff really loud, which is like, oh, that's not really that great. But when they balance it out, it does definitely, like, make the ambience what it should be. And, and, and this is a fascinating career path, like, for musicians for me. Like, because, you, you know, the way music complements everything we do in our lives, you know, yeah. you, you can yeah. pick a moment. And uh, and then soundtrack it to something. Despite that Ockerville River song, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you legitimately can. Um, and some people do more, and some people do that less. Uh, and uh, and some people just use it as an overarching lifestyle thing. But so, what, I mean, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's well, you know, music has always had that social function, right? I mean, if you if you go to see a live band on a Friday night. Um, at your local restaurant, watering hole, whatever, the expectation is that there's a band playing, you might be eating, you're drinking, you're talking to friends, you're catching up with people, right? And and the band is providing a little bit of, of background music to that. Hopefully you're not doing that in front of the stage. Just be yeah. mindful of etiquette, people. Right, right, <laughs> if right. you're if you're if you're there for the scene, don't be, you know, don't be at the front of the room. Also um, also when they when they pull out the acoustic guitars, like mid set, like your, your conversation is over for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Be respectful. Be respectful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I always, um, this was always something I struggled with a little bit with like a thievery corporation or something, right? Which was just yeah. like, I, I heard that record so often in different, you know, trendy boutiques. And, uh, you know, I associated it with like, with like shopping for one very stylish but overpriced item more than I did with any kind of like creative impulse. But that being said, there's, you know, someone has to make the music that is going to serve as the mood setting right. or the place setting. And I think that, you know, wanting, you know, understanding 
if you're making a, a play for that, then then you understand that and you're going for it knowing that that it's music that, you know, you people put on and have in the background because it because it sets a mood. Yeah. Um, in the same way that if you write, you know, um, Harlequin novels, you know who you're playing for, too. Right. Yeah. So I think yeah. part of it, too, is like and that doesn't have to be the only thing you you create. Right. You can create for other audiences. Yeah. But when you're doing this kind of stuff, I think you have to know that. It's going into a specific niche, and it's one that a lot of musicians, a lot of creators and artists would not necessarily want to find themselves in because they they would want to be somehow above it. But I think there's a there's a grace in going for it and and nailing it. Yeah, if, if a local band here is like, this is what we're doing for like a thirty minute set at Cactus, like yeah. I'm I'm actually probably going to be really interested in that. Um, because I enjoy seeing that rather than just say a DJ spinning stuff, nothing against DJs. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that can be because if that's happening in your scene, then you're, you're, you're sharing that moment and sharing that scene with people who are creating stuff in the scene. Like people can't create stuff without people to consume it. I mean, they can, but that's, you know, if, if they do, then they're basically me. um, But uh, an interesting point about, to me at least, about music like this, we have ambient music or instrumental music, um, but more ambient. And I say a lot that the vocals on a song are such a cheat. Like if you pull out for a lot, a high percentage of songs that are just on the radio, just pop songs, are incredibly well-crafted, right? But if you mm-hmm. pull out the vocals, what you have underneath is not necessarily that complicated. And so you, the hook yeah. is the hook is that. So the, the trick with like ambient music is you don't have that, and so you have to hook them with something else. Uh, the same goes for this. They're using a beat to hook mm-hmm. some. And, mm-hmm. and, and those little cheats are, and, and I need to stop calling them cheats because they're not cheats, they're genius. They are, you understand what you're trying to do with it and how people are going to react. Yeah. So like once you get that beat in there, that's the first thing yeah. I reacted to. Once you get that beat, I don't care what happens. I'm like, all right, all right, I'm yeah. here for this. Yeah. And then that little piano comes in and you're like, ooh, this is smooth. Yeah. Like, and, that that type of stuff is is absolutely fascinating to me as far as like how music is constructed and how we react to it um, because it's not as as uh, erudite as as all of us would like to think. Yeah, like the the reaction is very much on on a basic, uh, just sort of animal level, and uh, yeah, yeah, that well gets said. the job done. Yeah, I like it. it. Did is that is that on Bandcamp? It is. Yeah. Um, okay. No no physical releases, just digital. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Why, why release that physical? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, all right. Um, cool. We're going to take a quick break, come back, talk about one of my favorite albums of all time. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, so hang tight.
sitting around with the guy Having a laugh, reminiscing about times Asking me about things I did in the past I try my best to think real hard But my mind's not all intact So I try real hard to go along with the flow There's some things I just don't know Say they love me this and I say hell no That was two thousand point sales ago Two thousand point sales ago Two thousand point sales ago that is a little bit off uh, uh, of uh, Play With Toys, the album from Basehead. Uh, the name of the song is 2000 BC. BC is standing for brain cells. Um, Basehead was, it's, I'm, it's up in the air if they still are. Um, Michael Ivey yeah. is, is, is listed as active, but I don't see stuff. Although, I believe this album has been popping up on certain streaming services, or like you can buy a CD again now. Which we'll, yes, we'll get in, we'll get into that, including from him. Yeah. Oh, good, good. That's yeah. awesome. So yeah. uh, this this particular album was their debut album, uh, made uh, just outside Washington D.C. on a four track in his house in 1992. Um, so to you know give you an idea of what's going on then is basically like the the height of Fugazi, you know the hardcore scene there. Um, people didn't uh, certainly outside of D.C. did not recognize Go Go at all um, as an art form. Uh, and and so you had this, which is classified as hip hop, but it's very different from say DC hip hop now. You have Michael Ivey on guitar and vocals, uh, Brian Hendricks on live drums, Bruce Kool Aid Gardner on live drums for that song we just heard, uh, Paul DJ New- Unique Howard for scratches, Bob DeWald bass on play with toys, and Marco Damar uh, just does a solo on the on the track play with toys. Um, as you heard, it's a melding of uh, at the, you have to remember what was going on in '92. Is like a bunch of New York like white kids were discovering hip hop, and like you think about stuff like Folk Implosion, um, that were incorporating more aggressive and percussive like boom bap stuff into what they're doing. Uh, what you didn't see though very often was the flip side, was black artists doing that, and along comes Michael Ivey. And says, hey, I have an idea for an album. Uh, this is a concept album. It's a band playing at like a shitty redneck venue. Um, maybe yeah. it's the Bayou. Maybe, you know, it could be the Bayou at that point. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always suspect that it was the Bayou or like the Birchmere or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Right. The Bayou yeah. the Birchmere. And, and um, it starts off the album talking about like a sex machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it, yeah it's like a weird James Brown reference a little bit. Like, yeah. But it's like this lame country version of it. Yeah, there, and, and there's skits throughout this. Um, it is an album largely dedicated to depression and weed. And yeah. so I see how it took a hold uh, in the imaginations of white folk across the land, especially college. When I heard it when I was in college, uh, some hallmates had it, and they just kept playing this one song that we'll get to over and over because there's a point in it where they do a neat little trick. And if you're really high, you're like, that trick is so neat. And if you're not, you're like, maybe that trick isn't so neat. So I'm saying, take a bong hit now, listeners. <laughs> you got about 10 minutes. But uh, since this album has released, you know, you have some, um, the closest analog to it that I can think of is Soul Coughing, um, what Mike Dowdy was doing. 
I don't I and, and this is just could be just memory hole. I don't recall too many people doing this type of stuff. Even though this band was at a point like huge. Like nobody I mean the record wasn't, but they were touring uh with the Beastie Boys, Stone Temple Pilots, Ween. Mm-hmm. Like Yeah. Like this is like peak indie where where all these different things combined in in a stew. But like that that blows my mind finding that out years later. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I I try to stamp out my own sort of like genetic uh response to some 90s things um because of my age. But, you know, one thing that this record does that I think is really uh, consistent with the idea of the kind of 90s, you know, unfinished sort of slacker kind of Gen X-y thing yeah. is that there are several songs on here that where like the idea is like, oh, no, the song is us talking about the song. The song is us saying, <laughs> yeah, are you really going to end it that way? Right. Like and that's something that that, you know, would have been a fairly uh you know, now it's easier to do that kind of stuff, right? It's easier to sort of like break down that that fourth wall. Um, I think it was it's really it's really special that 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 this band was doing it because first of all, just conceptually it's really interesting and it's really confident that Michael Ivey was like, I'm gonna give him what I'm gonna give him, right? And this is this yeah. is what I know how to do. I sound disinterested, apathetic, but that's what works for the song. Um you know, you, it's sort of the, the the production is such that like you have to really turn it up and kind of lean into it to to, to begin to let, sort of like pick the pieces apart, yeah. um, because it's 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 soft and it's sort of got like a sort of a more like a hazy uh, kind of sound. Um, but uh, you know, I think the 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 main thing, and this is this bears a direct line to um, Velt, you know, the band that I mentioned earlier, which is that. If you were a black artist at a certain time, and probably even still today, um, unless you fit into certain expectations of what a black artist is, is supposed to be, um, everyone in the music business has a hard time knowing what to do with you. And um, you see this in every in every article about them from that time, right? The contemporaneous press is sort of like, hey, here's a black artist. We think we have to call his music rap, even though it's really not what our readers think of as rap. Right. And we don't really know how to explain to them what this is, right? And so it's, you know, it's these guys, they're a band, but they're not living color. Um, I think that's the key thing, yeah. Yeah, there's there's rap, but it's also not like, you know, like like the hip-hop that, that people are hearing now in 91, 92, right? Um, West Coast stuff was really starting to pop then. So... It just seems clear to me that that they that that the music industry you know didn't didn't know how to respond to these guys, and then I think, um, you know, I think Michael Ivey's own sort of personal um, choices about who he wanted to be and what kind of life he wanted to lead were the other thing that sort of yeah. made this made this band um, like they're still mysterious, right? It's still sort of hard to find their stuff. It's hard to find interviews about them. It's hard to. To your point, like I think Michael Ivey runs a studio somewhere. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I can't. I couldn't really tell you how to like find him if we had to. Yeah, and and it's so his the journey he took was he embraced uh, Christianity, like really, yeah. really deeply embraced Christianity, and basically disowned these albums. The next album, uh, not in Kansas anymore. 
um, which is, it has its moments, but it also is more about the drugs, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and there, the moments are where it, he accurately describes, like there's one song where he's like, I can't go to a party without getting high, you know, mm. or it's not a party unless I'm high. And you know, that's, that's not, it's, He's not saying it as a party music thing. He's like, man, this is like, this is rough. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, um, so it's it's glorifying it, but at the same time saying this is really problematic for him. Uh, and so after that, he was like, I want to make music about Jesus Christ. And changes. Yeah. yeah. And he did. And the, and that's when all this stuff came away. It's also when he was, he was on a major label, I believe it's Indigo. Um, and so he wasn't on a major label. So, you yeah. know, it, it was it was harder to find than 2000s uh, happened. That was the same label that Amy Mann was on. Excuse me, Indigo. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her yeah. first two records were on there and then she ended up in limbo oh, for a long time when they when they folded. So, I don't I I wonder what other artists were impacted by them going under. That that would have been like mid mid 90s, like 94 yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think who were they a subsidiary of? Was it they were of a Huh. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to look at it. It was a much larger label, but yeah, it, it was like an yeah. imprint of that. So, at any rate, um, well, so yeah, he, 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 this, this journey informs like this, and I think makes this stand out more because one of my favorite things about this whole thing is A, not being able to know the ethnicity of who's making it. Mm hmm. Like, it just never, yeah, like, occurred to me to care um and b that it's the the honesty about the situation that these characters are in is so relatable back to what we were talking about ladybird like it's so relatable often hilarious (laughs) and i want to play this song not over you um and we'll get to the part that i was talking about that yeah so i hope you took your bong hit um but this is a stunning piece of like just sound manipulation, like yeah. building building a, a little play in like three or four minutes. Um, and I, I love this song so much. Here's not over you. Say that I'm not over you. 
don't know, man. Maybe it's because you be walking around depressed all the time. You walk around like this all the time. I get depressed. You get drunk all the time. I get drunk all the time. I get drunk all the time. I get drunk all the time. Okay, man. Check it out. Let's go do something else to take your mind off all this, you know. What, you want to get some beers or something? My man, go listen to the radio. The radio? Man, what's wrong with you, man? Man, don't get mad at me, my friend. You know, like it's my fault that you gotta get love sick during the quiet storm. Leave me alone, man. Yeah, you find something. Gonna get me a bit. So, 30 years later, that's still fucking funny. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Um, the, the the dialogue is so natural, too, right? It's yeah. Just, it just, it's just so, like, you know, the tone, the sort of, like, what is wrong with you, man? I thought you were my friend. Like, what yeah. <laughs> it's just so yeah, good. It's, and, and the album is, is just sort of steeped in that kind of humor. Um, and and really, again, looking at uh, less the like gangster rap was like promoting yourself as like a killer or just like about your your masculinity and stuff. Now, this is exploring like the side of your masculinity, the side of like oh, like I'm actually depressed because uh, in in the yeah. character's case, there drinks too much. Uh, his partner probably left him because mm-hmm. of that and mm-hmm. and you know his support network is a bunch of dudes who do the same thing and don't understand yeah. what's wrong um which you know at some point in everybody's life they can relate to that yes yes um those little you know the 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 whole the whole record has has so many little moments like that where sort of dialogue will kind of creep in over a over a tune um and um and it really does it really does make it as you were saying, more more relatable. Um, it's also interesting to hear how some of the sort of current um, the current generation of of like uh, lazy dudes singing R and B, right? Yeah. Like that sort of whole kind of post Malone. Uh, you know, Frank will sort of go there sometimes too, like where it's just sort of like you have like the, the sort of pieces of a normal R and B song, but the singer, usually a male, sounds wholly disinterested right, in right. in what they're saying. Um I don't know that I don't know that people had a frame of reference for that thirty years ago either, right? I mean that's something that, that today sounds right at home and it's sort of in keeping with, with the aesthetic, but I, I hope somebody listening does know and like corrects us. But yeah, I, I mean I, I certainly did not have a frame of reference. Yeah. Um, this sounds uh, unique today uh, yeah. compared to like what, you know, like, those artists that you're talking about, they do definitely do that. But I, I don't think they execute it on, on it as, as efficiently as what Michael Ivey and his crew are doing right here. This album was all done on a four track, a Tascam yeah. four track, because that was the gear you had. 
yeah. you know, back then. And even like that, you hear DIY stuff that are doing the same thing on that. And it just doesn't like there's real magic in this guy's talent. Yeah, and I think that's I why he got elevated to like that. The label took notice and people were like, wait a minute. This is not some dude just fucking around like in his bedroom. He is, but it's you know the results are 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 borderline genius. Um, yeah. Um, so you so I came across this. Um, I can tell you, I was in the uh, I was in a car with a bunch of people, and this guy who usually knew about music, the rest of us didn't. Um, had uh, not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. And uh, he played the song, Do You Want to Fuck or What? Um, and we all thought, you know, we were in high school, so we all thought that was just hilarious. Um, but there was clearly something about about the the vibe and the, you know, the um, even that song, which is, which is sort of, you know, uh, attempting to be sexually aggressive, but has this like mopey, sad, uh, yeah, kind yeah. of hopeless, hopeless vibe. Um, it was again. It was just. It was just unlike anything I had ever heard. And 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 you know the you know we're all now so steeped in like irony and sarcasm that we're like eight layers deep for any sincere statement of anything. Yeah. But 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 in the in the 90s, like like that was still a like very much an emerging thing. The idea that like you could you could have an entire work of art structured around the fact that the speaker doesn't mean anything that they're saying, right? Um, yeah, yeah, right, right. And uh and so, you know, in that like like once you start doing that, that opens up the door for you to start playing with all kinds of other sort of forms of persona and all that. And I think and and, and you know, this is this is clearly autobiographical, but but to be able to present it in a way that is so so self-aware because I think ultimately like he would say that he thinks these records were successful. I think he said that that yeah. he basically, you know, you know, now he thinks that that they spoke to where he was at the time yep. um and and so just imagine as like a 21 year old being like oh i have to capture all my fuck up friends being idiots because yeah. they're part of the reality of this moment and if i do that right it'll help me move on from it so that i can go you know be a devout follower of jesus or whatever and, right? and be mean, very real about it yeah not not, not try to yeah. like paint it over like well you've got a flannel shirt on so therefore you must be this type of person like be very real about like what was going on. More real to the fact like back then too, you didn't think about black artists making this kind of music. Yeah. White white people didn't think about that. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and true. and so you know when you when you have this that is like better than the the people that white kids attempting to do this. Um, you know I, I I think about this a lot in terms of uh, Beck's album, which was later, but Mellow mm -hmm. Gold and and Beck kind of ripped off that this shambolic type of storytelling. And, yeah. and portrayed the slacker as what people eventually like always pictured it as like some you know shaggy haired white dude um just doing his thing maybe smoking too much weed uh there's a that song is down tempo there's a lot of down tempo stuff on this album i want to play the this is the very next song um that is not and this song to me points towards uh if 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 i'm recalling correctly it is one of the most up-tempo songs he's done, but it points towards like a bigger band for me. Huh. You know, when you see the stuff like did he open for Stone Temple Pilots, I think it's because of songs like this um, because it fits right in. And if you're a shitty record executive, 
maybe you're like tweak it and make it you know better but uh, this is this is better days he was those guitars creep in and all of a sudden you're moving into like indie territory. Like you can see Radiohead doing something like that. The difference being, you know, he says about this, that if if hardcore hip hop fans come to this music uh, looking for uh, hardcore hip hop, they're they're probably going to be a little bit confused, but that use of the crash symbol like is so incessant and honestly just such a wild musical choice. Yeah. You can't, there, because it it eliminates any nuance from the song, but what he's talking about is how nuance and anything joyful really has been eliminated from American life. Mm-hmm. You know, so so it's very much like yeah. like make as much noise as you can to distract from the fact that like this all is this sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 well said. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 uh it's it's kind of a hilarious take on the like um remember there there was like a whole genre of remixes that was just like oh you take a sad song and then you put like a jungle yeah, drum yeah, beat yeah. behind it yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know 2002 give or take uh yeah. but um but but this this plays with that I mean it's it's a it's a high energy song it's it's uh in every in every aspect but the content which is very much about <laughs> not looking forward to the thing that's coming next in life and uh yeah so where does this band or, or i should say where where should they sit in the history let, let's go granular and then go out like galaxy brain in the history of dc music i i proposed this question to you in yeah. preparation for this and this was going on at the same time as Fugazi and hardcore, especially Fugazi. That's when Fugazi was like really on the on the liftoff uh, trajectory. Uh, I heard about this band. You questioned whether or not there was a scene around this, but I heard about this band. Like the guys from college, they even lived in Leesburg. Yeah, and there were no videos for this. 
Like, so they got it because in this, and Leesburg is what, like an hour outside of DC, but you know, yeah, people. Yeah. So they got it because this was clearly a thing that was happening. And I don't know any other, other bands, but I, I guarantee you there were a lot of other bands that were doing something similar to this. This is what who he would be playing shows with, with his band. And I, I guess my question was, not necessarily why hardcore as opposed to like this, but w- what a different world we would live in if people were like, instead of holding up the the mainly almost 100% white guys, doing a very small thing, but it being amplified because of their whiteness, yeah. th- that this was what was held up. And Go-Go gets in the mix later, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think I think um I think it's really hard to to understand kind of the mechanics of of um whether whether it was a conscious choice or whether it was sort of uh, you know the inability as I was suggesting earlier just the inability of the industry to sort of know what to do with these guys. But they did give them pretty big slots, right? They were opening mm-hmm. national tours for for major acts. Um Did they play HFS festival? Not, not the years I went, but that's a great question. I right. went in like ninety four and ninety five. So they'd be almost done then. Yeah, be- yeah because yeah, yeah because it or at been, least, yeah, it would have been. They would be in conflict with with Michael Ivey's journey. Yeah. So 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 ninety three, ninety two might have been the, the the time to see them. That's a, that's a good question. It's you know uh, one of the fun things about looking into this band is that is that you really have to do a little bit of like internet sleuthing because there's mm-hmm. just not a lot out there. And so you'll go and you'll find an article, like a profile of them in like Melody Maker or in like the L.A. Times or something like that. So, again, there was there was buzz. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm I'm sort of at a loss to explain, like, why there wasn't um, why there weren't more followers or more kind of peers in that in that space. I mean, soul coughing got big. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And now there's a whole, you know, now like now like singing over music is like a whole big thing again, right? Yeah. So uh, whether it's Courtney Barnett or uh, I don't know, dry cleaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy No Mates. That whole there's a whole there's a whole scene. Cake, right? Cake did that too. Cake is an interesting analog, like back then, and like uh, there is more like cheese rock instrumentation. <laughs> yeah, but very much like the 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 similar thing, like. The the reason people know Cake is because of their cover of I Will Survive. Mm-hmm. But that's such a genius take on it because yeah, it it's like it's ridiculous that the, the narrator would be singing this. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's right. so pathetic. It's not yeah. it's not a song about like empowerment for this guy. It's just like, dude, yeah. can you just shut the fuck up? I love that album. <clears throat> Well, you know, so so the other tradition too, I think, is is that whole genre of just like sad sack feeling sorry for themselves, but funny mm-hmm. people, right? So like like a Jonathan Richmond, right? I think I think there's I think there's some, um, in some of his work, you can hear a little bit of of an uh, of a predecessor for 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 this, or at least that could have provided uh, you know an audience that um, would have been ready to understand this version of masculinity that was not predicated on kind of the you know uh it wasn't this angsty i'm gonna yell like kurt cobain it wasn't this like 80s macho bravado thing it was just sort of like a you know 
like here I am. I'm a guy. I'm kind of a fuck up. I'm trying to figure things out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Was there was there a song that you liked on this album that you wanted to spin? <laughs> um, I like I like Brand New Day a lot. I think that okay. song's uh, pretty fun. Um, Ode to My Favorite Beer isn't uh, isn't bad either. Um, Let's do that but, because that, 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 yeah. when you see the title, that's kind of like a party song. You feel yeah, and, and you realize right. Oh, of course, like, it's going to be a party song, right? Yeah, it's not a party song. <laughs> Ode to My Favorite. Beer. <laughs> cool. What you doing, man? Me? Oh, just working on this song, trying to get the lyrics song. together, you know, oh, so well. forth. Kick me some verses, man. I beg. Welcome to my life. It's nice having you around. Hits up in the sky and the feet are off the ground. Without you by my side, just what's what I do without you. to explain this brand new state I'm in I look around and the whole starts to spin without you by my side just what's what I choose without you I mean, you, you you get so lost in that narrative, like like, oh wow, yeah. I'm feeling this guy's feelings. <laughs> just burps, and then they pull you right out, and his friend yeah. is just sitting there right right beside him, just like, hey man, how's this going? Um, there's an interesting thing going on in hip hop around this time too, where people were experimenting with the formula. So they weren't the only ones that were doing that. I think. They were the only ones that were like really sticking to the boom bap stuff, though, and trying to work that yeah. in there. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about like uh, bands like Diggable Planets mm-hmm. and Arrested Development, which were both 92, 93. Yeah. Um, one was using more uh, jazz samples in that, and then Arrested Development was using more soul and funk samples mm-hmm. um, that had really been, in, in a way that hadn't been quite used before. It was also like a big Afrocentric collective, which when you saw the video that was something new to like white viewers in america they were like what what is this going on because it was so yeah. everyday people was such a massive yeah. hit for them and slime the family stone you know yeah but where i wonder where this fits into that and i wonder if th- that type of stuff might have killed this because people were you you put on both those debut albums from Arrested Development and Diggable Planets are masterpieces, but they make you feel good. Yeah, and you put on this, I was say, yeah, and you're this not gonna much... fe- you're not gonna feel great. Yeah, you're you're um, if this album makes you laugh, it's not because your life has been so great. Right. <laughs> like if you're laughing and relating yeah. to it, it's because you've been through some you've been through some complicated things. Uh so so yeah no I was I was gonna say exactly that 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 you know interestingly like like I think I think that from the Sonics here where you can almost hear where some of this like almost feeds into you know like a Portishead or like a trip hop kind of thing like a sort of like abstract electronic vibe that has a little bit of instrumentation but is just a little bit hazy at the edges and doesn't quite sound like a band. Um, 
And, um, and, you know, that's, that's kind of what I keep thinking is that there's, there was this sort of, you know, uh, the, that, 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 that the picture we had of like, who is allowed to have these feelings in public and talk about them as an artist, um, you know, we weren't, we didn't, we didn't do great with that as a culture. We thought, we thought like, okay, black people, we want you to be about jazz. We want you to be positive. Right. We want you to sort of be like rootsy and forward looking, or you can be from, you know, or you, or you can be rapping and you can be on death row records. Right. And, and yeah. those are really the, the, the sort of two lanes that people are allowed to be in. And, and, you know, Basehead was, was a, a band without a nation at that point, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to believe this was 30 years ago too. Yeah, it is. Like it, it really. If if something like this dropped today, I think it would it'd be a hit. You know, what, and, and what I see in, uh, like the Milwaukee hip hop scene and rap scene is is a weirdly complicated scene in that like they, like any scene of any genre, like they're very like prideful of their scene, like they want you know, but there is also this underlying current of like we can be just like Atlanta. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. in, in like the late '90s and early 2000s, and but also there's another side to it where almost every like small hip hop artist I see that'll play a place like Cactus Club or open gigs for people almost like invariably has a live drum set. Hmm. And I don't know where that came from. I mean, I know where it came from, but I don't know why 30 years later, you know, yeah. why in 2022, like all of a sudden these young kids, and we're talking like high school kids, are embracing like a full drum kit along with a DJ. Um, and the results are, are fantastic. But like yeah. it, it's it's nice to see like looking at the stuff outside of what you may have been told you're allowed to do or what hip hop is supposed to be, you know, you know, and and maybe even like just defying the genre. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have an answer for that, for that drum kit thing. Although, although I think, although it did, it did make me wonder, not wonder exactly, but it, but it, but it reminded me that it's not like the go-go scene would have known what to do with bass head either. Correct. Right. And he wasn't making a play for, for any recognition from that. You know, there's, and, there's not, there's right. And there's no overlap. Yeah. Like right. there's not, it's not like he's pulling go-go beats in, you know, and right. just like, exactly. you know, another part of our offline conversation was about like, there's no overlap between go-go and, and hardcore. Like, except that they, yeah. like basically go-go artists saw that they could get a leg up by playing with this band, all these white kids that were like, super popular all of a sudden in dc and so they did yeah and and you know for me that you know the the music of dc is is always going to be the 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 indigenous music is always going to be go-go and not this hardcore stuff because hardcore happens everywhere it did happen everywhere it's incidental that it happened the way it did in dc but go-go does not yeah it's so very specific to that region yeah, I, and and you know it's. I mean, I know for example, I want to say Beauty Pill played um, played a bill with uh, with some go go bands a couple of years ago. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you screamed. And so, well. yeah, so you're right. There's not a lot of like cross pollination musically, 
But, you know, good on, I mean, you know, at least at least artists here who are not Go-Go are trying to pay tribute to it in some way. And that helps get those Go-Go yeah. musicians paid, right? Yes. But, you know, living living in Northeast D.C. And, and kind of being close close into PG County, I mean, I see a lot of flyers for just, um, for, for Go-Go events that are happening all the time everywhere in the city. And, you know, Go-Go's hub may not be U Street anymore. It may be just sort of on the edge of PG and, you know, PG well, County and the DC it, line. It's actually Waldorf, where I used to work. Yeah. Waldorf, sure. Maryland, which is like 25 miles away because, you know, gentrification yeah. pushed all that out. Um, but that's where the Go-Go's are. Yeah. Like that, I mean, and there's multiples. And, and it's just like, that I would like to see, I mean, I don't live there anymore. I'd love to see that like bleed back into the city and people support that more. But I think what you don't get about like playing shows is like, if you're a go-go artist necessarily is like like those are always going to happen those are about right. your community right. instead of people who are like angsty about like if i play more than like two shows a month like nobody's going to like me right. and 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 irregardless of genre or whatever you do if that's how you're approaching things like you're not you're not going to make it yeah. like <laughs> like yeah. i'm sorry that's that's not being a musician being a musician is like you play every chance you get well said. Just do the thing. But that's a whole different rant for me. Um, but yeah. yeah, so so this band, I I want to I want to invent a time machine and somehow get. I want to see the universe where Michael Ivy dominated the DC scene and made this whole thing. I I think you would have seen alternative music uh, benefit from it. I think you would have seen hip hop benefit from it. I think you've seen music across the board. And the more we talk about this, the more excited I am about how, how much of a motherfucker this album is. Yeah. Like, and how influential and people don't even like necessarily know it exists. Yeah. I hope, I hope some people who didn't know it existed before this now do. And, you know, you can find, um, I, I still remember coming across the CD at a store on 18th street in Adams Morgan called DC CD, which in the late nineties, early two thousands was one of the only places in the city where you could get, um, new vinyl. Uh, and, um, and they had a used CD section. And so even though I usually went there for like actual and four men with beards, uh, reissues, um, I flipped through the CDs once and I thought, oh my God, this is perfect. Here I am. I had like just moved into the city proper. This is like 2001 or something. Mm-hmm. And I thought this, this could not be more apt that I, I like just moved into DC. My first trip to a record store. What do I find? Plays with toys by Basehead. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to go further back, you know, there's a whole storied, uh, history of Adams Morgan being like Hendrix played there and stuff, but there was like, look up yeah. the new, look up the, uh, numero release for father's children. Oh Yeah. Uh, and that's amazing. Like, there, there's just this whole underappreciated history of DC music. True. That that it's 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 fine if if all you know about DC is the punk, but you're you're doing yourself a disservice if that's all you know. Like, you should look into it more, especially like black music. Um, yeah. You know, you have like Bohemian Caverns for fuck's sake. Mm-hmm. Like how many yeah. classic jazz recordings were recorded at Bohemian Caverns? Many, many. Um, right? Same with Blues Alley. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there, there's more to the nation's capital as far as musically than than what a lot of people listening to this might think. A lot of people listening to this might know. Um, or even uh, uh, Jamal. We need to get Jamal 
Gray yeah, on a, here sometime. That do- great documentary his, about his yeah. his dad ran a label called Black Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, Plunky and the Oneness. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're it. It's just amazing how that sits underneath what everything, including me, when I moved there, like thought they knew about that yeah. town and, and what goes on there. And uh, see, now I'm missing DC. Not really. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You got a good thing in Milwaukee, man. Don't. (laughs) All right, we're going to take another quick break and come back and round this out with a uh, special debut. I got your opinion of this. What should listeners do to prepare for this? We're just going to hit play and they're just going to float just, on out in the universe. Or they're going to run screaming from their podcast player. Well, if you're going to run screaming from this, then you should probably stay away from me is all I can, you know, keep running in the, <laughs> keep running in the, keep running in the opposite direction because right. we're not going to have a lot to talk about. All right. Um, strap in. Strap in. Uh, this is this is a good show. I'm glad we got to talk about this. We yeah, yeah. next week I promise we'll bring back more. Uh, well, we have to talk to partner. We have to talk to yeah. Medicaid. Um, we were talking about the release schedule being kind of weak, um, which I think yeah. it has. Like I think post summer. I don't remember fall being this week. Um, and no, we're not going to talk about the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot '84 LP edition because nobody needs to do that except like that one guy in Chicago who's like. I'm all about this, but more power to him, more power to him. If if that's what he's feeling, then that's what he's feeling. Uh, this is not that. (laughs) 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 So, uh, we will be back in two weeks. And until then, I hope you, uh, return from outer space from your voyage. So, uh, thank you. you.